Welcome to another Creative 2.0 podcast with me, Guy Vickerstaff, the chair of the IPA in Scotland. In this episode, I'm shining a light on the world of a media strategist, and specifically the world of Maddie Sim from Dentsu Aegis here in Edinburgh. So morning, Maddie, how are you doing? I am not bad, not bad, just about surviving in this strange lockdown world. I know. Let's try not to dwell too much on that because... (laughs) But that's all that we have to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to age pretty quickly, isn't it? But I almost think let's let's take a moment away from from that if we can. Um, And maybe maybe we'll touch on it because I think it touches on everything, obviously. But so what are you working on at the moment? So we're working on quite a lot of things about the tourism industry. So we've got clients like National Trust for Scotland and Visit Scotland. And obviously you'll have seen in the press that National Trust for Scotland at the moment has um, some recruitment stroke um, redundancy issues. And so we're looking at how we can convince people that this is the time to make a donation and come up with a membership for National Trust for Scotland. So that's been quite interesting. I think National Trust for Scotland is a really interesting case because people see it as just an attraction-based type service. And what we really need to do in advertising and in all their comms is make that link between the money that you give to National Trust for Scotland and the conservation work that they do, because they are a charity. So um, we've been looking at a few strategies for that. Um, And then we've got quite a few clients in the travel space, which obviously is uh, going through a tough time at the moment. So we're looking at what we think people's travel habits are going to be in the next six months and in the year after that. So trying to look ahead so that we can get a bit of a jump on the consumer mindset. Good. That's well, that's interesting because yes, there's a lot of a, a lot of doom and gloom about at the moment. I, I, there one, is, I, yeah. One thing we were chatting about before, and I thought it was quite an interesting insight, was that that and, and your national trust example uh, references it is is seeing how the the chain has broken down. So all, all you need is one one element of the chain to break down, and then 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 we've got problems. For example, recruitment with national trust. How are you seeing that affecting other aspects of the industry as well? Are you seeing are you seeing that coming through on any projects? Well, so that sort of speaks to two things. So I think there have been issues in the supply chain. We're seeing that in clients where the demand has stayed the same and you'd think the supply was staying the same, but then there's one factory that has to be closed that means that there isn't that sort of level of supply being achieved. So for example, with Baxter's and with Dr. Martin's, it's all about, okay, people still want soup and they still want to buy footwear, but are they able to meet that demand by making sure that they've got the product being delivered to people? And of course, without stores being open in the case of Dr. Martin's, they're relying much more heavily on, on online sales. So we've got to look at how we can make sure that we're able to meet the demand with the supply that's given to us. Dot Martins is a really interesting one because they're such a global brand and so they're recovering very well in the Asian markets and it's now about looking in Europe where do we think it's recovering and and how can we meet the demand as people start to come out of lockdown so it's an ever-changing nature in terms of where they're feeling the demand and, and able to supply that so that's been really interesting. The other thing on the National Trust for Scotland thing is I think that link that I was talking about between understanding the money side and what that means is really interesting in the advertising industry itself. So the the sort of idea of advertising as being the funding for so much of the content that we read or for the, the video 
programs that we watch, everything like that. I think there's so little of a connection made between advertising and what you get off the back of it. And so um, we've probably got a job in our industry to make that link a bit clearer. So let's get to part of the reason why we're chatting, uh, or the main reason why we're chatting, sorry, is the media and creative overlaps. Uh, obviously, with, with my agenda point being Creative 2.0, I didn't really want to make it seem like it was all focused on the creative department and what new skills everyone needs in there. I, I feel in this modern media landscape that the overlaps of the Venns between media department, for lack of a better way of describing it, and media and, and creative department should be much more overlapped. So that's part of the reason why we're we're talking and obviously at the back end uh, behind all that is is data and data sources and and insight and profile and all that kind of thing so when you and i work together you, you did a really interesting talk about the various different data sources that you use to help um plan plan a campaign so let's let's talk to to that subject for for a moment and and uh and let's let's give some creators a bit of an insight into your world <laughs> shall we <laughs> That sounds good. I also think the, the funny thing about that is the, the sources that creatives are using and the sources that media departments are using are quite often the same. We're just doing different things with the data. So I tend to split the way we use data into three areas, and that's the profiling area, the targeting area, and then the measurement area. And if you're doing it right, that measurement should loop back around to the profiling. And so you start again. So the profiling area is kind of something that has been baked into advertising and marketing from the beginning. So any good marketing campaign should start with some really good audience profiling and some really good market understanding. And whilst that used to be from surveys and focus groups, we're still using surveys and focus groups. It's just that the way that we get that data has become supercharged by digital. So we, for example, uh, subscribe to YouGov and we've got our own massive survey based system called CCS and that just means that we're able to get that audience insight for a massive proportion of the UK population and we're able to get it really quickly and we don't have to go through all the usual setups that you would have had to have done with a survey in the past. And then I guess the two things that have sort of changed in terms of focus groups or understanding consumers is that we're leaving a lot of that data behind online as well. So you've got social data and you've got search data. And that kind of, to me, goes back to one of the issues that you've always had with uh, profiling people. You've got inferred data and you've got self-reported data. So socials and self-reported, that's what you say about yourself. And then you've got the search data, which is our deepest, darkest actual desires, which is the actual <laughs> inferred from their behavior. So that's interesting. <laughs> so we're still getting all that data. We use that to do the profiling. I guess the bit that's changed so significantly is the targeting. So we're now able to target people in much more sophisticated ways. Um, and it used to be all about using that profiling data to work out what TV programs they're watching or where they might be from an out-of-home perspective. And now when it comes to your digital campaign, you can actually find exactly the types of people that you want using third-party data. And obviously we in media always bang on about first, second and third-party data. And I think third-party data is where it starts being all that behavioral stuff um, online. I actually think that first party data is still still the richest. And that's the one where 
when you have information about the people who are your customers, you can employ that to reach new people. And that's still where we find the richest means of targeting people um, and, and finding the right people for products that we're promoting. So um, the big thing I would say about data is we're still using it in the same ways. It's just become the fact that we've got more of it. So we've got lots more data out there and it's quite hard to sift through that and find what's interesting. And to do that, you've got to employ the old frameworks because they still work. Yeah. So I think I think from from creatives of my generation, I think we're getting caught in this whole short termism versus long termism, and and we all want to make big big uh, big television ads to 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 talk to kind of brand building and stuff. And then obviously, if you can you can say, I can match your customer profile with your prospects, and we can get some results like tomorrow. Um, that's going to be pretty appealing to to marketers. <laughs> yes. One of the great things about the industry uh, I always found was that the pitch process creates a kind of microcosm for our whole industry, a little bit like the the, the film production element. You, you have to basically put together a company very, very quickly with a hierarchy within it um, and, and you get to give them the, the task to do and they do it. So and a, pitch is, a pitch is very similar. From your experience as a kind of media strategist, have you had a particularly great experience working alongside creatives. So all the learnings that I've had with creatives, I mean, obviously we now work very closely with Whitespace as part of Dense Regis Network. Um, and that's been really strong because what we found is that we're coming at problems um, from different directions, but now we're starting in the same place. So we start together and then we are able to use that problem and go off in our media route and our creative route. And it all comes together much more safely than it ever did before. What I think I've learned is we used to always come to um, the creatives much later. So it would go, uh, the client would talk to the creatives and talk to the media specialists at the same time, but we wouldn't get involved together until much further down the line. And what I think I've learned now is that we've both gone off and done exactly the right things. And we probably looked at the same data, but we'd managed to find different angles of of sort of understanding that data. And so we ended up going slightly different directions and it wouldn't quite fit together. So we might, the creators might find one audience that they wanted to target, which was exactly right. And we might find one slight variable that we added in that changed that audience. And so it wouldn't perfectly fit. Whereas now, because you're having those conversations all the way through together, that doesn't happen. So I, I completely agree. It's so important that the creatives and the media specialists are working together as early on as possible. And it wasn't actually a, cre uh, sorry, a pitch situation for me where I first had a really good experience of that. It was actually working on the Brand Scotland launch. So the Brand Scotland launch, what, what the, the partners did, which was Visit Scotland, Scottish Government Talent Scotland, Scottish Development International, etc. they created a group that was someone from Whitespace, someone from the union, me from CARA, and we all had to work together from the very beginning and not through design, that process ended up lasting about three years. <laughs> so <laughs> we got very close and very, very used to working together. And I, I almost felt like I worked with that Whitespace planner and that union planner more than I did with anyone in my own team. We would meet up all the time, 
go through the data, understand all the different propositions. I learned all sorts of creative terminology. So <laughs> I stopped thinking of it as just some creative fluff and actually started thinking of it as useful vehicles that we could use in our media targeting. And that's where I learned all of the, the really rich stuff that I've learned through working with creative planners. So it was that process. And that was only because the client demanded it be so. I think one of the problems is that clients come back to us at the end and they say, well, I really wish that you'd worked a bit more closely with the creative agency. And that's not going to happen unless you mandate it. Like we can't, we can't just, we can, but like there are different models of sort of working. And I think the agency, uh, sorry, the clients really need to make sure that their agencies work together. Yeah. Make yeah. sure that we all play nice in the sandpit. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that one. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be absolutely. <laughs> no, I'll come back and edit that bit out. So obviously, from as from a creative traditional creative background, you know, in the pitch process and working with planners is very familiar. And obviously, insights are the are the the product that come out is 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 what you do on a day to day basis. In terms of a media strategist. Talk, talk to talk to talk to me a little bit about some of the insights that you've uncovered or some of the things that get you excited about your job. So in terms of the insights, I think the great thing is is that the insights that creatives are talking about are exactly the same types of insights that media strategists are talking about. So I, th I think there can be a little bit of snobbery around what a great insight is. And I think everyone's looking for that aha moment, that really clever piece of information that unlocks the entire process. And really, from my experience, it's all been much more building up a really rich picture of whoever it is that you're trying to target and understanding from a media perspective where they're spending their time um, and what types of channels they're with when they're with in certain moods or making certain decisions. And it's those kind of insights that we use to piece together. But I think some of the famous insights, you are immediately able to see how a media strategy falls out of that. So for example, there's the whole Like a Girl campaign and that came off an insight about the amount of younger girls who were unwilling to do something because of fear of failing. And immediately from seeing the creative come out of that, you can also see the media campaign come out of that and understanding what types of people you want to target with that message. And um, the interesting thing for me is taking the, right, so we want to target these people with that message. How do you find them? And that might be about the types of content that they're reading. Perhaps they read lots of things around the area of sort of feminism and um, taking part in things. Or is it about using different data sources? So for example, their search history, or is it about going out with a big broadcast campaign on TV because that's something that you want to reach loads and loads of people with? And so those are the sorts of questions that we start um, finding out from the number one insight. And that's probably another good example of the fact that that one insight doesn't unlock the entire thing. You've still got to then go off and understand how you target people. Um, and that, what types of media channels that you should be using for different jobs. So, so yeah, I think insights are, are a tricky one because so often it's loads and loads of insights that build up to one picture that you can use for your media strategy. From your point of view, from where you sit in your day-to-day -day job, what campaigns have you seen recently that have made you sit forward and go, oh, wow, yeah, that, that, that got a smile on my face. What got you thinking? And anything spring to mind? Yeah, yeah, definitely recently the Virgin Media campaign. 
it's a really interesting one. It was actually my mum sent it to me, which I think is a good example of when a campaign is done really well, you will get shared activity off the back of it. I think we're always talking about how we can get people to share things on our behalf. And that rarely, really properly happens. But with that campaign, so it was all about the different things people were doing um, to stay connected um, from within lockdown. And it just really beautifully tapped into how everyone was feeling. And I think I've seen, I don't know how I feel about the fact that I loved it so much because it was slightly saccharine and it was really blatantly tugging at the heartstrings, but it managed to get me in a moment where I was perfectly happy to be tugged at the heartstrings of. And I really, really liked it. Funnily enough, I think the thing that I learned from that is, is it reiterated how important it is to move quickly because I saw that one first. And then I saw lots and lots of other activity, which kind of played along the same theme. And it wore off really quickly. And it soon felt like people were sort of just playing on the same theme. But that first time I saw it, it worked really, really hard. And, and I do think that if you move quickly, then you've got that first responder benefit. Um, and it's difficult. It's difficult to move quickly, but they did. And it worked with me. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, to be honest, I can't think of what, <laughs> what that was. So I'll have to go and look that one out. My apologies. I've kind of tuned out a little bit from, I, I think I got a bit kind of jaded with it, everything feeling a bit samey. And, you know, quite a lot of, um, quite a lot of comms at the moment feel public service announcement, you know, one person, you know, looking at, looking straight down the barrel of a camera, a bit like what we're doing right now. Um, <laughs> Which is obviously, uh, you know, there's always been a part of advertising to reflect reality. And, and I think we, we will soon see the end of that. And that's why I suppose um, th th this podcast might have a short shelf life because they're, <laughs> oh, they're banging on about the virus again. But um, I'm used to having a short shelf life. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to touch a little bit on performance digital because I think that's a really scary world for for creatives. And I think. If you were if you were sitting presenting to a room of young creatives who'd come through the creative um, talent pipeline, come out of uh, all the art schools and things and and want to make big ideas, and then they're tasked with doing some performance digital campaign, infuse them and maybe help frame the role of performance in in terms of the the, the advertising menu. Yeah, so there, there will be there's, there's long term brand building and there's 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 obviously stuff that happens at a very you know nudging that that nudgy bit for me works best off the back of the brand stuff. So as long as you're as long as you're tying it all together, I think it works really really well. So for me, to be honest, a big TV campaign is still the best answer to so many briefs because it's so good for brand. It's so good for that broad reach. It gets people when you know that you're seeing, that your friends are seeing the same message and that's a really, really strong media tactic to employ. The performance bit is all about using targeting, intense signals and um, sequential messaging to move people along that journey. And it, when it's done well, it's really quite exciting. And it's not, it's not that you just have to use really standard little text ads to nudge people along. You can still use beautiful creative. That's what I would say to creatives out there. 
video works for performance, really great display banners work for performance, um, out of home can work for performance. It's all about moving people along the journey so that they're more likely to convert at the end. And to be honest, it's that bit that pays for the TV ad. So they should sit up and take notice because if there's not gonna be any action on the back of some of these campaigns, then, then we're all in the mire somewhat. So exactly. make sure that we can connect it to some sales. Exactly, and I think, I think the, there's, there's a job that we in the industry need to do to, to enthuse either people in the industry already, old jaded people my age, and people who get, people get to write columns in campaign and, and spraff on about how much they hate this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a, there's a, I mean, I'm laughing about it, but it, it, it's, it's, it's part of, it's part of the, 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 the wide, um, the rich pageant of what, of, of our industry. And, and, Definitely. and, and you're right. And it, it's got a job to do and it's not killing everything. It's part of the, the overall picture. I think if you purely do that, then you're pretty soon going to see the volume dry up. So I wouldn't say over rely on performance marketing, only yeah. use it where it's necessary. Um, and I think one of the problems is so many advertisers are purely doing performance marketing. And because the barrier of en to entry of performance is lower than with doing a big TV brand campaign, it means that you're also seeing some fairly crappy advertisers out there doing it. And so it gives us all a bad name because you see a lot more bad performance marketing than you do brand marketing, I would say. Yeah, no, I would completely agree. Okay, we touched earlier on about, you know, a, a certain level of kind of awareness of where things fit together. Um, and I think there's probably a job to do with our industry kind of explaining how I mean the old-fashioned rules about how advertising pays for stuff making the connection you know the metro's free on the bus why you know and, and Instagram's free and and Facebook's free what why you know Google is one of the, the the most wonderful services in the world and it's free and and I almost think there's there's a kind of acceptance that people know that advertising pays for it but I would completely disagree I think people aren't aware of that general public aren't what would you yeah think? and there seems to be certain advertising that people aren't willing to accept as paying for the content they read and that's probably a job that we've done badly I think one of the issues is we've seized on absolutely every type of advertising that there can possibly be. And we are getting more and more sophisticated and we're getting slightly more intrusive when it comes to certain types of advertising. And people don't like the fact that they have to be bombarded and that it's so hard to get away from. Um, but the internet is not free. And uh, sorry, it, do that again. The internet <laughs> is free. And that was a decision taken a long time ago that the internet would be a free platform for everybody to use. And so if there's gonna be content on there, then it has to be funded in some way. And the model that we came up with was advertising, similar to the way that we came up with that model for TV back in the day. Yeah. I really struggle with that, to be honest, sort of, because I don't think that we can dismiss the the views of the normal person particularly easily like i agree some advertising is crap and some of it's annoying and some of it's intrusive and so we have to get a lot better at making sure that 
the advertising that we do is useful and it's engaging and it creates an emotional connection, whatever it may be to bring some of that love back to the advertising. But I would say about 30, 40 years ago, there used to be more of that. Um, so I think a lot of the blame does fall on our shoulders, but I also believe that um, people need to make that connection more so because if people go around employing ad blockers on everything, then pretty soon people aren't going to be able to create the content that they love so much. So there's definitely a balance to be struck. And to be honest, it's, it's an issue that I struggle with. We're always pushing forwards, aren't we? So I yeah. think we will come out the end of it. Um, and there will always be a role for the, for the nudge uh, the nudge advertising. I, I did see a very funny New Yorker cartoon the other day, which was a man on an underground with one shoe on, and the poster beside him said, "Buy a shoe." <laughs> it was like targeted advertising. You're gonna go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is with that personalized advertising, I still remember the first properly targeted personalized ad I got on Facebook, and it was back when I was at university. And it was for something that you would never think a university student would want. It was for a Leonard Cohen poster. Now, the only person who knew I liked Leonard Cohen was Facebook. Like, you wouldn't be able to profile me and get Leonard Cohen on the back of it. And I loved it. I loved the fact that I was being served something that was so about me. And I still think there's a crux in that, that personalization can be good because it's giving you exactly what you want. Whereas sometimes when you're profiling someone and using all sorts of generalizations about who they are as a person, you're getting served things that would never, you would never care about. The problem is everyone's doing it and it, it stops standing out. Now if I was served something about a Leonard Cohen poster, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. But back then it was pretty cool. Uh, but we've lost some of that because everyone's doing it. I completely agree. I mean, the, the Spotify know me and, you know, they put forward certain recommendations and that's great. And I find that really useful. Whereas, you know, certain other platforms think because I bought <laughs> a pair of shoes that I'd be interested in some kind of German sandals that, that you know, I would never be seen dead in. So we just need to get, you know, obviously the industry needs to get better at it than that. Yes. I, at this point, Maddie, I am going to wind things up, if you don't mind, and let you get back on with your, your day. I really appreciate you taking some time out to chat about your world of media. And uh, I will edit out all the bits that are unrepeatable and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hopefully get this um, up and online in the next few days and weeks. Well, that's great. Thank you very much, Guy. I really enjoyed it. <laughs>